It's Thursday, November 18th, and today is National Princess Day. That's right. And you were watching and are listening to Uniform Exchange. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. My buddy's dad would love today's National Princess Day. All right, Princess, let's go. Let's go. I don't think that's the same. I was going to say, is that why Josh isn't here? Is he, yeah. It's a holiday for him? Yes, it's a big, it's a big holiday for Josh. And uh, the pieces of the puzzle start coming together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, guys, uh, welcome to the show. It's a big day today. Uh, on this day in 1978, I'm assuming that it was because of the first airing of Uniform Exchange, but... Uh, it was followed immediately by the Jonestown Massacre. Our oh, show was so, yeah, so good that they just stepped right in. That was good. The Kool-Aid was that, really huh? good. Yeah. Uh, and on this day, however, in 1966, Sandy Koufax, I thought this was interesting. Sandy Koufax retired. Everybody knows he played and retired. Did you know he retired at age 30? Yeah, I did not know that. That's so freaking nuts, man. Imagine yeah. what he, the numbers, I mean, the numbers he put up, in that short a period of time, that if he had the surgeries that you'd have today, a Tommy John replacement on his elbow or whatever, yeah, that, and it was, like, he could have gone on for another 10 years. The guy'd have like, you know, 700 wins. I, I hate yeah. to ask this question, but is that like a Dominican age? If you know what I mean, was he, was he really to become an elite? <laughs> yeah, no, he, yeah, no, it was he definitely not. Right. Right. He actually, yeah, that's <laughs> a good question. His real last name was Almonte. So, yes. yeah. He, uh, he had arthritis in his throwing arm. And back in those days, like you said, Chris, they just didn't have the ways to treat it. Um, but I did read an interesting story. He, he refused to pitch game one of one of the World Series because it was, I believe, Yom Kippur. Uh, and Don Drysdale pitched. And if I, I might get the numbers wrong, but he gave up seven runs in like two or three innings. And his quote after the game was, I bet you wish I was Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine can you imagine the coach before the game sandy we need you to pitch well coach the arthritis has got me in the arm i believe my days here are done made it to I'm, 30 I, I wish you the best of luck His i think you might have mixed two stories there but we'll go with it that's fine that's fine that's fine uh, i tease it yeah, right. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Welcome to Uniform Exchange, a comedic look at sports, sports business, and live entertainment, a week in review. Let's meet our panel with no interruptions today, guys. I'm Michael Myers, uh, as you know, owner of the Sports Marketer, and Chris? It's subsidiaries. That's right, including Birdie Box, the greatest luxury gifting platform on the planet. Uh, 20 years in this glorious industry. I'm not even 30. You guys know that? I'm not 30 yet. I've been doing in this. Sandy Koufax years. I'm 30, yes. In Sandy <laughs> years. Uh, our first panelist was present for, whoa, is it Mike? Are your kids there today? Is that, is that? Hold on, I'm hearing, hold on one second. Kids. <laughs> our first panelist was present for the first Christmas, actually. Uh, not the one with the manger, that would be crazy, but the one with the chin. The 156 years of experience in marketing, sponsorship, activation, branding, and clearly time travel author of the Fan Cost Index and owner and CEO of Team Marketing Report, 
the angry one himself, Chris Hartweg. Well, the heat miser himself. Welcome the back miser. to the show. And our other panelist today is a music-loving alcoholic. Did I say that oh, right, Mike? <laughs> did, I, did I say that right? Wow, that that uh, might have slipped off the tongue. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, improv comedian, father of three, Goose Island's own, dad number two, Mike Smith. Welcome back to the show, Mike. Good to be here. Um, I have a little bit more than three kids today. You'll find that out shortly. And uh, I'm so sorry I was uh, wanting to use my old-timey 30s voice and forgot what story I was going after. <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> but he to retired it. when he was 30, not in the 30s. <laughs> it's not the same thing. That is not the same thing. Hey, Skip, I have – what was that? Hey, Skip, I have a – I have the arthritis <laughs> in my throat arm. My days here are done. Well, time to go to the farm. Quick look in on Sandy Koufax retiring. Uh, Josh has the week off, guys. He wanted it to be known that he is not having a baby, that he is listening, judging, and likely will be commenting. He sent me a text about three minutes ago. Um, Son of a bitch. I know. All right, guys. I think it's time for some... Rack it up, rack it up. I got a bill. Shake it up, shake it up. She got a hands on it. As you know, I am in... Palm Springs this week, or if you didn't know it, I am in Palm Springs this week, for those of you that didn't know, uh, and you can't be in Palm Springs without knowing something big is happening here from November 13th to November 28th. World Team Tennis is at the Indian Wells Tennis Garden, and you can't say World Team Tennis without saying this guy's name. I am honored. Billy Jean Johnson? Yes, yeah, Billy Jean Johnson. I am honored today to be joined. By Grand Slam winner, 10-time title holder, professional tennis extraordinaire, and extremely orange today. I don't know what that's all about. What's going on there? Uh, and current head coach of the New York Empire of World Team Tennis, Luke Jensen. Luke, welcome to the show. Oh, look at that. World Damn, champion. Bring world champion. Bringing the belt. champion. There Got it is. Rick Flair, Nature Boy, Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream. That is amazing. All right, I'm going to turn your mic up just a little bit, Luke, which no one has ever had to say before, by the way. Never. And if Never. you want to fix tennis, let's let's get Dusty Rhodes on the court. <laughs> well, uh, Luke, thanks for joining us today. It really is an honor to have you here. Uh, it was amazing to watch no, you play. It's, no, it's not. You couldn't. Yes. You couldn't get players. You couldn't get any like better, so you this Jensen guy, Mister Clean fill in. Hey. Myers, is he on to us? I feel like he's on to us. <laughs> he might be. He might be on to something. Uh, Luke, seriously, welcome to the show. It's been a pleasure watching you do your craft. Um, talk a little bit about what's happening right now in Indian Wells. I mean, you've been here for how long have you been here? Ten days. A lifetime. Oh, you mean this version of World Team yes. Tennis? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, yeah. So we got here. I would say on the 11th, everyone started coming in from around the world. The players from the Europe. Right now, the the tour is in Europe, and some of the big uh, World Championships down in Mexico for the WTA tour, and then Davis Cup and Billie Jean is like kind of going on. So the year's kind of finishing for the pro calendar, and so there's been 46 kind of variations of world team tennis. And I think the last two years is probably the one that's going to stick 
uh, last year during COVID, it was the first real tennis um, on the stage because of COVID. And, and Myers, you and I were there um, at the Greenbrier in West Virginia. And it was great. We had an unbelievable final, came down to one point for a half a million dollars, one swing. Um, in tennis history, we don't play to a deciding point. We play ad tennis and we're kind of nice and we play with sportsmanship. But in world team tennis, it's it's lots of trash talk and it's where you can kind of, you're not worried about your points. You're not worried about your brand. You're just kind of playing for your teammates and things. And and we've moved it to the, the I would say the fifth best tournament in the world on the tour. You got your four majors, Wimbledon, US Open, the Australian Open and the French, and then Indian Wells at the Indian Wells Tennis Garden, just outside Palm Springs is the fifth largest. It's been, this tournament's been going on for about, I would say, since the seventies, maybe, you know, 30, 40 years. And it's really positioned itself with Larry Ellison, the Oracle found founder as one of the premier spots. The players love going here. It's usually played in the spring this year because of COVID it was played in the fall, but I think world team tennis has a shot because it's the perfect time of year for players to come unwind their day, pick up a little dough and have a lot of fun in the desert. Um, and it's just building a culture that this tennis destination in the fall is for world team tennis. I really think that this has breathed a lot of life into the sport. And I'd love to know your opinion on before, like when you were playing professional before uh, world team tennis became what it is today. Uh, where do you think the sport would be if it hadn't evolved and, and, and had this different aspect of tennis that you can see the players playing uh, competitively, but not the way that you're traditionally used to seeing them in the sport? That's a great question. I mean, you look at, we are still upper middle class and I'll be very frank, white. We are very white globally. Yes. We have our moments with uh, Althea who broke the color barrier in tennis in Forest Hills uh, when she played the U S open and that's back in the fifties. And then Arthur Ashe came around, a tremendous champion, and broke so many barriers, not just on the court, but what he did uh, for the sport and for the so social justice issues um, when he played and when he coached. He, he had a huge impact on my generation. It had, you know, like Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras and those champions. And he was the Davis Cup captain back in those 80s with McEnroe and Connors. So he was very relevant. And then you have the Williams sisters. And so... There is some diversity, and we've really strived on the global stage to really promote that. But I would say gender equity is where we really stand out. And Billie Jean King really started that equal prize money. In 1973, the U.S. Open was the very first pro tournament to say, you know what, we're going to do that. But tennis is so stinking backwards, it took Venus Williams decades later at Wimbledon as the number one player and said, listen, Wimbledon, we're equal prize money or we're not playing. And that was, we're talking probably early 2000s. And so think about that gap from 73. So tennis is always kind of, I say, never fails to fail with real glaring slam dunk issues, but they get there. Somehow they get there. And the players that are young and global, they're smart, they get it. World Team Tennis comes about at the right time in, in tennis because you've got the you know, the 70s, Title IX, Billie Jean King is trying to get the women's tour going. And it was a huge deal. I mean, Jimmy Connors in the mid-70s was the best player in the world and didn't play the French Open because there was more money and prestige in world team tennis. 
it was a three month season and they had travel all around and everybody played chris Everett, ely nastasi rod laver anybody in the hall of fame they played world team tennis and then it evolved mcenroe played connors agassi sampras lindsey davenport i mean all these hall of famers steffi graf all played and now it's to a point now where i mean you can't find a team concept outside of you got your davis cups or billy jean king cups but this is the one thing where you just see like you know singles doubles mixed doubles five sets it's over in like two and a half hours it's over pretty fast so you can kind of take it in but you see all the aspects of tennis in diversity in inclusion equal prize money uh the marquee players get more and that's cool i mean if you don't sell tickets forget it you know you're going to get paid a different freight different rate but uh i think world team tennis has a spot but the powers that be and the powers are our super bowls that's the french that's wimbledon our grand slams they make so much money and they have to see the value of having this team concept at indian wells and having someone like larry ellison being at his space is really a game changer yeah i was gonna ask you what brought you to world team tennis but after hearing you say that Connors and Everett and all of those other amazing people played. I want to ask you, how did you get in? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I, it was standards. hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They did. They really did. They bottomed out. So, my first year <laughs> as a player, they really did. They, they bottomed out. Um, 94, my brother and I just won the French in 93. And tennis was going through kind of an identity crisis. Where we're we going after McEnroe and Connors. And we got some. We got some interesting young players. Sampras won the U.S. Open over Agassi in 90. That was kind of their Beatlemania coming out yeah. party that there was going to be was a good school, stretch of young school. Americans. I was in high Chang, school there, and that Chang, was it, man. That was great. Right. Chang won the French a couple years before that. So that generation was taken over. But, man, outside of Agassi, it was boring. I mean, Courier was kind of cool. He played some rock and roll, but he was kind of straight-laced when he stepped on the tennis court. And, honestly, we were unseated at the front. French Open in 93, we were a couple of honestly knuckleheads. I mean, we were not, I mean, not that good. And we roll into the French and we get hot and it's all timing. And we, we knock off a bunch of teams. We win the thing and we're riding Harleys and we're wearing football jerseys and soccer jerseys and mechanics, you know, shirts. And we're winning this stuff out. I'm going on to center court Wimbledon. Center court Wimbledon. I mean, that is it's like Augusta for tennis. It is it is where every big time match has ever been played. McEnroe, Borg, and eighty, and it's all happened right there. I'm walking out with honestly a motorcycle jacket with the spikes and the leather and everything, and and the le there's once I almost made it. One sticking guard at the end said, uh, "No, no, no, <laughs> no, you." You can't do that. But we're riding Harleys on the You could have been like, hop we on, doing... let's do this together. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Bring it. And so it was It was like we were different. And it was just the way we were brought up in the middle of nowhere, Michigan. And it was just cool to play. I felt we were fans that were chosen or won a lottery to get to play against the best players on the world on the biggest stages. And so Billie Jean King realized this, that like, we've got to have these guys on. And yeah. so in 94, they put us on the Kansas City Explorers. And I got to play Borg. And I got to play Connors and John McEnroe and Navratilova. And I'm like off 
I'm out of my mind having fun. And it's, uh, it was so perfect. It was right our jam. And then I did a lot of TV through the years with them. My brother coached for the Washington Castles for a bunch of years, had a ton of success, but he had Serena, Venus, like any great coach, like Phil Jackson, you've got to have great players. Yeah. And uh, he won six world titles. And then last yeah. year I got my first and I've got Kim Kleisters. I've got some amazing players. So to me, it's how we evolve from here and take world team tennis really to the streets, to the people and um, really sell the message. And to me, it's always going to be about sponsorship, money, TV rights and things, but it's a great product, yeah. but we have it to really sell it. If you haven't had a chance to see last year's finals, what he's referencing, he didn't just win a championship. The way World Team Tennis works, it's kind of like uh, if you're playing a game against your buddy and you make the last shot, well, let's say you're up by four on the other guy and it's beer pong or something. He gets four more shots. As long as he doesn't miss, he gets to keep playing to keep the game alive, right? Well, this last match, that's how it works in World Team Tennis. You have to finish out this last match if it goes to a tie. And Luke, I don't know, you could probably tell it better than me, but your your team was probably. down. Your team was down. It's, you know, in you most sets, there. you only score five points, right? But on the last set, you yeah. go forever. You have to win the last game to finish it. And you came into that the, last match down three or four. Yeah, and we were, we were, I mean, you play these sets, and it's not about the number of sets won. It's the number of games won. And so that last set, whoever's up going into that last set has to win the last point. You can't run out a clock and you have, you can substitute, you can do a lot of cool things, things called timeouts to change the momentum. It's very similar to basketball in that Nobody sense. calls more timeouts and, than Luke Jensen, just for the record. No, <laughs> I know. I, I tried to buy more timeouts, but you know. The TV like, people, I'm sitting up with the TV booth people, and they're like, we got to get this game done. NBC Sports goes yeah. live in four minutes, and Luke's out here calling timeout. <laughs> and we had 1.4 million watching that last tiebreaker, which was incredible for World Team Tennis because yeah. it was women's doubles, and we had four Grand Slam champions, two future Hall of Famers on that court in Bethany Maddox-Sands, who's won like 12 major championships in doubles and mixed, and then Sloane Stevens, who has a U.S. Open title in her pocket. And it's like one of those things in sports where it was a complete all-out slugfest. Nobody lost it. I mean, people were hitting winners every single point so we had a match point for the half a million bonus money and sloan hits a it's an ace down the tee and coco vanderway was on my team um the uh the niece of kiki vanderway so she has a, a lot of new york roots and and sports and everything she didn't even hesitate you wonder who's gonna take the last shot who wants the who wants it and on in that scenario with the deciding point she she didn't hesitate as soon as she got A, she says, I've got it. I've got it. And all I said was, like, listen, I took a timeout. Let's not rush this. So I had my last timeout. And I said, just go for a winner. Just whatever you just just go for, a, just hit a winner and be done with it. And because of the electric Hawkeye, this electronic line calling system, she hit a ball that honestly was 75, 80% more out than in. And we get the cash. The money, the bonus cash, the title, baby. It's called in. Everybody freezes and looks at the screen, and they come up, and here's the line, and yeah. the ball caught, like, just the last tick of it. And you're like, yeah. what? Yeah, it was crazy. Didn't, only time didn't in they beat Chicago? History. Only time. Yes. 
It was yeah, Chicago. See, yeah, that's why I'm upset because yeah, you New beat York my team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You should be. They choked. I've never seen a team collapse with such a lead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Just at least from... put in the fridge. What? Put in the fridge. Come on. Just for the record, Chris, how much did you have on your draft lines uh, bet that game? Draft was, Kings? Uh, draft lines, yeah. We're, if draft we're lines, use, nothing. Guess, draft Kings, guess, I If we're going to use our sponsor, we should probably say it correctly. Draft <laughs> Kings. This is the Draft Kings moment of the match. Oh, are, Why, are they official now? I was oh, trying yeah, to keep they, they spend millions with us. Millions. <laughs> Luke, why, to your point, though, of that this is such a great both live uh, experience for the fans and – I think for for TV purposes, it works well. And the players love playing it. Why don't we see more of the, you know, loosening up of this kind of a format uh, out there? I mean, you know, I know it's like Augusta and the Masters and golf and everybody's, you know, all buttoned up. But why can't more powers that be and, and more sponsors get behind this being a more, you know, riotous kind of a thing? Because it's a... It's a blast and it moves fast too. That's yeah. like the things that yeah. you need for the live the, DJ, the like live music with the DJ. Like it's a party. It's a party. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. think, think about, and it's real simple to the, the average sports fan that's followed all sports. Remember how cool boxing was back in the day. Remember growing up and you couldn't wait for Sugar Ray to play, you know, the fight Tommy Hitman Hearns or right. marvelous Marvin you know, Hagler. Hey, Hagler, the hands of stone. I mean, it was, it was, you had to watch. And it started with Ali when we we're growing up and watching those fights. What happened to boxing? How many different titles? How many different this, that associations? They got so fragmented. So in the world of tennis, in, in NFL, I can go to, to, to Goodell and go, we need to increase this. We need this sponsor. You can tweak it because there's one guy, the commissioner that makes the rules. He, you know, he's got the players on one side, he's got the owners on the other side, but he goes in the best interest of the game of football. Same in basketball, in the NBA. Tennis, you've got Wimbledon is their own deal. French Open is their own deal. Yet the U.S. Open got their own deal. And so Wimbledon is its own private club like Augusta. And they make, honestly, a half a billion dollars in three weeks. They make so much money, and they don't have to share it with anybody. The USTA, the United States Tennis Association, they have for, for three weeks, they make that half a billion, and then they have to support tennis in every district, yeah. in every county, and around the United States. So that money gets spread out all over the place. Same with the French Federation, same with Australian Open and their tennis association. Um, so tennis has so many different powers that are taking as much money as they can in these short periods of time. But it's because of COVID, we need thinkers that really have to unite for the best interest of the game. Because I'm telling you, man, I'm looking at some of this stuff. We are dropping off Venus Serena. Roger Djokovic is in his mid-30s. Nadal's almost done. He's almost a fossil. The Bryan brothers have already retired. Sharapova's out. We are going to have new stars, and we do have some. But we'll never see a generation like what we've just seen on the men's side. Three players with 20 majors in their pocket. Uh, the greatest doubles teams that ever played in, in the Bryan brothers. Maybe one of the hottest players of all time, Maria Sharapova, who could also play. Um, and, of course, what the Williams sisters done. I mean, you know, 23 majors with Serena, uh, Venus, the older sister in the Hall of Fame. Their movie comes out. Highly recommend. I saw an advanced screening. 
It's the real deal. Will Smith hits this thing for a home run. I know Richard Williams. King Richard, the movie, mandatory to go see if you're a sports fan to see where they came from. I mean, gunshots around the public courts where they started. And dad and mom, uh, Williams, made that happen, made that dream come true. So tennis is kind of on the cliff, in my opinion. We've got to come together for the best interest because if we're playing in our own sandboxes, we're not going to make it. And World Team yeah. Tennis is honestly a slam dunk for a real short period of time. You don't need all the stars. You get like three or four on each team uh, sprinkled around in the league, and then you fill them in with some good, solid players, and it's fun, man. I just did a clinic for sponsors. Kim Kleister's there, this this young kid, Chris Eubanks, six seven American, went to Georgia Tech, serves 140. I mean, he's like Kevin Durant, the thin man, and he's awesome. It's just Tennis has to get its act together and start saying, listen, evolve or die, man. Evolve yeah. or die. We are Question. going for disposable income. Yeah. Two, two questions within that. One, and we can start it on this podcast. Do we just need – who do we need to shame? Who do we need to shame so that World Team Tennis, the only, by the way, truly gender-equal sport on yep. the planet – in a time mm -hmm. where we speak and preach about equality and yep. everything else, the only sport that's truly gender equal, and we still have work mm -hmm. to do on inclusion in other areas, no question, you mentioned it earlier, but who do we have to shame to get us an actual seat at the table? Because I've heard the stories, we, you know, World Team Tennis doesn't have a seat at that table yet. Yeah, I, I, my whole life, I've been very fortunate to not buy into who we have to shame or who we have to to convince that it's the real deal. I mean, we've had Billie Jean King as our co-founder, you know, for 45 years, you know, and the new ownership is unbelievable. They believe in the product. I've always been one as a player. When I went in 93, we had Breathe Right as a sponsor. I'm wearing Band-Aids over my nose, right? I, I don't know, have it right now. I've got like this pulse monitor by uh, Massimo, that, that I wear and everyone thinks it's a life alert because I'm so stinking old. And But you've got to go off brand. You've got to go into the weeds to companies that, to me, see tennis as like, there's something really cool happening here. And you like when I played, we, we didn't have traditionals. We had Cartoon Network as a sponsor. Well, why do we have Cartoon Network? Because kids love it, man. I've got millions of kids watching cartoons and i've got scooby-doo on my jersey and it, it's just cool and we've got to get into these brands that are happening and cool think of bitcoin staple centers out it's bitcoin now like yeah, we got to get crypto and and we'll we'll crush all these other tournaments and it's not about that as much but i don't think we try to convince the tennis world that is that back ass words in my opinion good people they run a nice tournament but they're not inclusive. They don't see the value. And I see the future as this thing. And I truly believe Larry Ellison is a is a key, but he wants to see us get some crypto, get 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 sponsors that see this as a cool thing. We've got a destination, we've got a date, we got track, we got some track record for 46 years. And now it's a matter of going out and finding those, those honestly, who is the new Google? Who is the new Facebook? What is evolving that isn't Chinese or for, or for that matter, cool. or for that matter, just what companies care to actually act on yeah. what they say they care about of gender equality. They say it all day long, 
act on it and support a program that is truly representing gender equality at the highest level. White Claw. I see it. Mike, I see you, know, you know what that means, baby? I do. You were working that. You got, you got worked. Worked. <laughs> uh, two more questions, Luke, and then we'll let you go. This was a question that was brought up by Mike and Chris before the call. They want to know, in your opinion, Who's the next big, great American tennis player? Do we have a tennis player that can win uh, a Grand Slam, that can uh, win at a Wimbledon? On the, man, on the men's side or women's side? Either. Men's. Okay, men's. Yeah, so so we haven't won a major. <laughs> okay. we have the, our country has been <laughs> – we've been blessed. We've been blessed to have the most – we've won the most Grand Slams than any other country combined. I mean, think of the McEnroe years. You can go back to – you know, Jack Kramer and all the, I mean, we, we circle every other nation. Uh, we won the most Davis cup fed cups and, and all this stuff medals in the Olympics. Um, so we are blessed. We have so many riches with facilities and we got the college game, which is really like the minor leagues where you can develop your game. Like Chris Eubanks has, um, we could develop that better. So the last time we won a major on the men's side was 2003. That's Andy Roddick. And, you know, it's just one of those things. Why didn't Charles Barkley win any titles? Well, there's a guy named Jordan. And if he's right. playing, he's winning. We've right. had Nadal. We've had Federer. We've had Djokovic. It's not like we don't have talent. John Isner is an awesome horse, and he's he's a factor. Nobody likes playing him with this huge 150-mile-an-hour serve. Um, so we've been kind of knocked on the door. But to me, we've got this guy, this Tiafo from D.C., the big foe, man. This guy is, you know, as the as the big three or big four with Andy Murray, they fade out. There's going to be some opportunity. I like his chances. This guy, Taylor Fritz, he's playing World Team Tennis. Love his chances. I played him last night. He's he's a mean machine. We're going to get some majors there. On the women's side, we're already winning. Sophia Kennedy played World Team Tennis last year. Uh, she won the Australian Open last year. Um, and Jim Brady ba- came very we, close. Jim Brady Jim almost. Brady's close. Yeah. Another, she's going to win. But to me, as you know, in sports, it's nice to win, but it's nice to have someone like Ali, Tiger Woods, who has an it factor. And yeah. the it factor is Coco Goff. Coco really? Goff is 17 years old. As a 15-year-old, beat Venus Williams in the first round of Wimbledon, really made her splash. And she's just 17. She plays with... Um, Katie McNally in doubles. They got to the finals of the U.S. Open. And I mean, this Coco Goff is not just an athlete. She's smart. And I've done a lot of things with her with corporate outings, kids clinics and things. She she gets it. Doesn't have mom and dad around when she's doing these things. She looks people in the eye. We were, I was doing a thing with, uh, with her and FedEx. And FedEx had all their big home run hitters in this thing last summer in dc and she was like, taking pictures looking them in the eye you know the little things that make a big difference and basically she was dropping off her direct deposit number into her bank just here direct deposit. i mean she was so <laughs> stinking good and they're like every company's dying and to work with her the kicker there is she's working with roger Federer's management group so like thumbs up that she's got great leadership great team around her Roger on the speed dial to talk about how do you handle superstardom. And the other yeah. thing, and it's not American, but the girl who, uh, this British girl who has a, a Chinese connection, an Asian connection, speaks Mandarin, is this Rana Kanu. 
she's the real deal. They, uh, Wall Street Journal has already said she'll be the first billionaire in tennis because her British connections, big, big sponsorship money there in Europe, and then, of course, the Chinese connection. So it's tennis is tennis got some superstars. How do you move the ball forward and really score when you have the opportunity? I thought we could have scored bigger with Roger and Rafa and the Williams sisters. I think we honestly fumbled the ball going into the red zone. We never scored truly with them. But a couple of tennis, again, being fractured. But also, I think we if we would have had Arthur Ashe alive, he would have been in his early 80s now. He could have made a difference. You know, he maybe, you know, he, he was such a visionary and he could talk to them what is really important when you have that stage. Billy G. Yeah. King was a huge part of with them, but it, it's Arthur was a different cat. Yeah. Well, two things. One, you and I need to take a trip to London and get some sponsorship. Clearly, I didn't realize yes. we, we had the opportunity. So let's get that going. Uh, <laughs> we're sitting in separate rows on the plane, though, because I'm going to have to sleep at some point, And I don't know if you I'm not sure you ever do sleep. Uh, last question. If you, do you sleep upside down for like an hour a night? Is that, is that how it works? Well, that's that, that was, his, uh, so I got that inversion deal. You ever see those things where you flip on the back? Yeah. That, that actually works. That guy, that teeter, <laughs> teeter hangups. Yeah. But I was teeter, humbly, yeah. So I was doing it because I broke my back in college. And so I was using this thing to save my career, but all my hair fell out. So it's like ah. Like I want the I want the warning label. Well, uh, I recently acquired one myself, evidently. So, uh, last go. question before we let you go, Luke. Last final question: What is your favorite Thanksgiving? Me- your ideal Thanksgiving meal. I know we're seven days away from it, and we're going to be having it together here, Luke. We're going to be having this yeah. together. Yeah. What What are you going to make for Michael? For what are you going to make for Myers next? For? Yeah. I'm thankful to have Thanksgiving with Luke. But what's your ideal Thanksgiving meal, Luke? You're Indian Wells. It's In and Out Burger. I go for the double <laughs> cheese. Yes. And you can't go wrong there. For I mean, I'm sorry. It's just In and Out all day. Um, <laughs> back in the day, I will say. And uh, you guys will appreciate this. When my, I did punt, pass, and kick back in the day. This is in the 70s. And Love Detroit got to play in the Silver Dome on Thanksgiving. And my brother was in on it. And I, he was um, – we got – we were decent. We never won the Super Bowl, but we always got to kind of the quarters. And I've got a great Bears story because the Bears traditionally always played the Lions and feasted on the Lions. And so my brother's eight. I'm ten. And in the morning, uh, before the teams come out of the tunnel to, to warm up for the game, uh, we do the punt and the uh, the kick. So the pass was at halftime. Pat Summerall calling out your name. Really cool stuff. So uh, my bre- we look like little bobblehead dolls because they give us the, the uniform, the helmet, and the shoulder pads. And we just finished warming up and doing the punt and the kick. And my brother's there, and Walter Sweetness Payton comes out. I mean, the real deal, man. He, in life, I just, extraordinary. The hip pads, like the whole shot, right? And my brother, just this snuck-nosed kid, goes, hey, Peyton, you ain't so fast. <laughs> and Pey- Walter Peyton turns like, what the hell is going So, you know, he's got that, you know, remember the, the, the mouth guard that he had? It was just dangling. And so he's, kid, you just watch me today. And he fires a ball. At my brother, hits him in the chest, like almost knocks him down. You just watch me today. 
So we have Walter Payton's like uh, football, and if you remember those days, he ran for like two hundred and fifty-six on the Lions, and every like major Hall of Famer in that division would always have highlights against the Lions, and there's Walter like, <laughs> climbing over Lions and everything. So that was my Thanksgiving. That's my favorite fa- Thanksgiving memory. That's awesome. That's really cool. Well, Luke, so Walter Payton ate you and your brother for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he ate exactly. the lion. He ate it was lion. so His embarrassing. Was <laughs> yeah, you know, we then you'd get to like the semis, right? The NFC Championship, and all these players, all these kids from Dallas Cowboys, and you had to, you know the Rams were good back then, and it was like, oh, we have the worst uniform. We got to be the Lions. They laugh at us. We were like, <laughs> oh, brutal. I don't want to be the Lions. I want to be the Cowboys, right? You want to be like the Giants. Your uniform no, looks near stuck. the Cowboys, at least. It looked co- sort of yeah, Cowboys yeah. back in the day. I should have done some duct tape on the side, just covered yeah, right? it up. Yeah. Well, Luke, we really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure hanging out with you. Thank you for sharing with us. Thanks for joining us. I will see you in a few hours, and uh, we'll make this the rest of these two weeks a, a roaring success. To beat the champ, to be the champ, you got to beat the champ. Come on. Love it. See you, Luke. Thanks, Luke. That's spectacular. What a guy. Uh-oh. And we lost Mike Smith at the same time. Oh, he went with Luke. He's, 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 I'm going to take him out. I'm going to take him out. He's probably one of the kids. Probably unplugged the Wi-Fi or, <laughs> or tried to, you know, make a pop tart in the. We'll uh, see if he comes back in the later. in the Blu-ray player or something. Well, Chris, I we have a lot of stuff we were gonna cover, yeah. and I love the fact that Luke stayed with us as long as he did. So we don't have nearly as much time as you normally would. So no. I think we'll probably do this in headline form and talk yeah. a little bit about some of these, but not yeah. really get as in depth because we got about, I'd say 15 minutes before people start saying, we don't want to hear what you Oh, they're gone. They're gone yeah. already. If anybody's left. Right. Yeah. I'm looking up and we went from 1400 viewers to 1200. The second he dropped off, oh, of Mike dropped off. We lost 50 more people. Uh, if you were to get off, I think we might pick him back up. So, right. I I'm, just, I'm, just I'm just kidding. All right. So, Buck, you, Troy. Oh, oh, this must be. Uh, I I did read this. Amazon. <laughs> Amazon is looking to steal Troy Aikman from Fox. Yep. And have him join. I. Uh, if I'm correct, Al Michaels. Well, that's the thought uh, that with them ramping up uh, Amazon, that is Amazon Prime ramping up their coverage, uh, and, and they're spending their trillions with the uh, NFL. Spending their G's. Yeah, uh, they um, they're trying to put together a dream team of uh, and folks of you listening, that was air quotes dream team um, that. Uh, Al Michaels, of course, is everybody's, you know, a, a number one guy. And then uh, they're going to leave uh, potentially Joe Buck, uh, you know, crying in his uh, in his Budweiser. The greatest announcer of our generation, Joe Buck. You know, it, um, I don't know if I would say that. The but greatest he, announcer of our generation, Joe Buck. Go ahead. No, I, I, I wouldn't say that. But no, I know you wouldn't, but right. he's, but the he's good. He, he, he gets... He does get a um, 
it's it's just an, a ridiculous amount of wrath that comes his way. He gets I'm not Joe sure Morgan. Why. He gets Joe Morgan wrath. Yeah, but Joe Morgan said a lot of really stupid That's what shit. I'm saying. He gets Joe Morgan wrath without doing the things Joe Morgan did. Right. No, Joe, I would Joe Morgan, you know, he's up in the booth, he's still got the elbow going. No, but Joe Morgan, I, I couldn't stand him. Joe Buck, I mean, I can get why people might not like him, his style necessarily, sure. but he got he calls a really good game. I was just game. listening to um I was listening to he was on the uh, Smartless podcast with the one with um uh sean the second, hayes the second biggest podcast of the two of ours right the right. the one that mimics us where they have the three guys the lesser known guys jason bateman right uh arrested developed job gob and God. uh and, and the second the, oh, most famous person from glenn ellen the, the second most famous person sean from glenn ellen sean hayes yes second most uh, famous hill chopper no yeah, but, but the amazing. point is if just you hear a, a real conversation with him and you're like how how could you not like this guy? Yeah, I mean, really. He he came from a dynastic family, and doesn't carry the pretense of it. And people no. want to say he got a job because his dad. And who knows? Maybe he and Chip Carey both landed their first gig because their dad had a gig. Who kid? What kid didn't land and get an opportunity if their dad right. was doing something right? But I'll tell you what, he cut his teeth. He didn't step into the national spotlight. No, but you put. He did. He did the work. And right. but but look at the look at the staying power and where he is. The Chip Carey example is perfect. He was really from a dynasty. He was Harry's grandson and Skip's son. So he was third generation. Whereas as as Joe was was only second generation. Right. But Joe, I mean, Joe, Joe calls it a good game. I, I I have to agree with that. It's just he's got the St. Louis problem. But oh, it's not a problem. So uh, it, it is interesting though, because I did, I heard him and I, I, it sounded weird. It felt weird when he said it and it didn't register with me until afterwards, till I saw the news about what's happening. And this was weeks ago. It was, he was ending a broadcast with Aikman and he mentioned something about a game in 2020. He said, we'll be back here in 2023. I think the game was being at, maybe it was an Arizona game and maybe the Super Bowl in 2023 is in Arizona. I don't remember. Or maybe it was Miami, whatever. And he said, we'll be back here in 2023. Maybe if all things, and it was, and it wasn't like an overt and I'm not even sure it was intentional, but the way it just sounded funny when they said it, like they couldn't both commit that they would be there. And now Interesting. for multiple reasons, the contracts up and who the heck knows what happens. I mean, geez. Who knows what's going to happen with the football contracts over the next three years? Who knows who will be where? I mean, well, and it's it, the money that gets thrown around. You know, it's a whole I mean, new Tor world, baby. Troy, Troy is really good, and 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 um, Romo is really good, but the, you know, and Gruden. Romo is not Romo good. is not as good as either one of these guys. Romo they, gets no, a lot but, of credit for guessing some plays right, and he got a few right. But a lot of guys have gone down that path, and Romo does a good job. But he is not what people say. Right, and he so makes not the greatest what, 15, announcer. Fifteen million a year, yeah, out of the gates, crazy like that. And That's I love crazy. Tony Romo. For the record, I love Tony Romo. He went to Eastern Illinois University. Like I love Tony Romo. But man, do they make it sound like he's already in the Hall of Fame? And the guy just—he started hot. He started well. He did it right. He practiced for six months. He took six months and worked with, like guys that had been at CBS for 40 years and had broadcast and produced shows and sat with them and learned six months before he ever stepped foot on the air. 
And you could tell when he came on the air, he was prepared. So I'm not insulting yeah. Tony Romo, right. but man, do they make it sound like he's already, you know, uh, Jack Buck or Harry Carey or somebody of that, you know, Dick yeah. Ebersole. Okay, that was way too long on that topic. We're going to really yep. have to fly through the rest of these now. Um, Karen Rogers, sorry, Aaron Rodgers, um, he's playing again, which is great, great for him. Uh, his team is selling a bunch of shares. Yeah. A bunch of new first, shares. First time in how long? Uh, many, many, many tens of years. Uh, the many, only many city. Yeah, the only many, many tens of years. Uh, the only team in – is it the only team in any league? It's certainly the only NFL team that is owned by the city and not by a, an individual. It's owned by well, the Well, it's owned by a – it's owned by share, the shareholders. Not Yeah, not, I shouldn't say the city. The people who live in the city. I guess they don't have to live in the city anymore, but it's owned by the population. Uh, it's publicly owned. Uh, so that's interesting. I think it seems like a money raise. I assume they're going to dilute everyone else's ownership, which can't be super popular, but it will bring a bunch of new people into the fray and give new, a new generation, the opportunity to have an ownership stake in that team. So, it's so here's, here's the update is they've sold 36.7 million in shares in the first day and a half on the team's sixth overall stock sale, 110,000 shares. What does so, the 110,000 shares represent out of the total shares? Do you know? Well, they're offering 300,000 at No, but what is the total number of shares home? Oh, 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 I see. I see what you're saying. And if you don't know, that's all right. We can get back. I don't have that. Okay. I was just curious what percentage of overall shares they've added to this with that 300 shares. Right. So the, we were 10%. talking about that. Of uh, What's the dilution uh, yeah, exactly. factor? I, I don't know. I've been looking for that and I haven't. Yeah, that's really riveting. You should tell us more. Um, you keep looking, but you don't have to give us the update that you're continuing to look. It's great. Um, elsewhere, you heard a rumor that there might be four more expansion teams. I haven't read this yet, so I'll yeah, know. it's it's been a, it's it's been kicking around this this last several days. That hey, what <laughs> what is, there, is happening there? Is it is, they got their tuba? What happened, Mike? Dude, everything's fine, but they're the kids have multiplied. I think they won. The, the neighbors' kids are here. You okay, yeah, we're gonna talk to you later, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's oh amazing. So um, four teams, four more so teams. Looking. Here's the story yeah. from the latest owners' meetings: was they're now talking about NFL owners are talking about going to potentially 36 teams from the 32 they have now 17 game schedule. Oh, wait, uh, real quick. We were talking about Aaron Rodgers. Had to get that in. I I'm, I'm curious if state farm's going to, going to extend with him. I think they will. Cause it'll I think they're going to adopt the Vax tracks theme song is what I think state farm's going to do. Instead of the, go viral. Jake from State Farm, it'll be Vax Tracks. Vax Tracks. And they'll just have nothing but people that are pushing against the vaccine as spokespeople. <laughs> um, the NFL piece, trying to do quickly, which of course I never do with any of this, but it's the with the 17 game schedule, you have 18 teams in each conference. They play, they can they can play seven the 17 other teams. Uh, the schedule works for that. The um, but the interesting thing of what's the four markets? And the four that have come out of the meeting, apparently, that it's been tabled, of course. But the four teams, interestingly, Toronto, or the four cities, Toronto, 
London, San Antonio, and St. Louis. And we all know St. Louis is going to get a team free of charge. And that's exactly. And they're That's probably exactly going to, right, to your right. point, free of charge, they're going to get a team and they're still going to get a settlement of $947 million, which essentially will pay for the team and the stadium to be built. And it'll be amazing. And, and maybe they, they can be the next Packers that it's they, locally and, owned. Then. Well, that's what I'd like to see. That That's what made me bring that up is I'd like to see it. I don't believe if it weren't for leverage that St. Louis might have here, they would never allow another – the NFL has gone out of their way to say they will never allow another franchise to do what they've done in Green Bay, Green Bay which, Mike, Mike, you weren't here, but the, you know, the population, it's owned by the, the people, not, the, not a person. And I, the, the league has said they would never do that again because think about how difficult it would be to move a team that's owned by 37 – you know, uh, 1.7 million people that live in the city. You could never move it, right? You couldn't. And these guys clearly want to be able good. to they want to be able to move their teams. <laughs> yes, good. I agree. But they aren't they don't want to give up that right. But maybe, just maybe, because of the leverage that the city has, they might be able to get something like that pushed through. I personally, as a fan of St. Louis, the city, and I love the city, I hope that happens. And I think that would be terrific. Okay. Well, I, hold on, I think hold on. that what's okay. Go I'm going I'm looking into my crystal ball that I have here. Oh, you have that. I didn't know you had that out of storage. And the year is 2057. There are now uh, 48 teams in the NFL. They play okay. year round. Yeah. Linemen have been replaced by giant sandbags that are robotic. And they just filter out through the traumatic head injuries of uh, playing as many games as they can. When's this thing going to end? When's it going to end? When are they going to stop adding games and teams to a league where they can't fill the stadiums now? But it when, is when no game. one will pay more money for them to do so is the answer for that. And when yeah. it becomes yeah. overwhelming and people are like, no, no, there won't be more. Than the most they'll ever have is 18 games. The Players Association is never going to. I'm blown away they got to 17. Blown away that the Players Association allowed it. There had to be a concession for some other massive financial windfall they got because adding a game to that schedule is just so opposite of what any any group would do normally. Um, but, yeah, it's 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 getting there, Mikey. But I do think St. Louis will get the team. Okay, we've got five. We're going to fly through each one of these in a minute. This is the headline and the story at once, okay? You can have one response if you want to. The NCAA got together. They finally had their convention where they got together and talked about all their ideas. And what did they solve from this, Chris? Nothing? Oh, yeah. Um, yep, you're right. They didn't. They're going to – they probably – I think they scheduled another convention. That was on the agenda to schedule another convention. Um, now, the, the news reports on it are, if you want to be optimistic, it's that they're working hard. If you want to be pessimistic, it's they're doing the things that they can to do anything they can to legally protect themselves and protect the illusion of amateurism in their sport. So we'll see where that goes. Illusion. Um, uh, Coach K, Chris, you want to do a little Coach K? Action? Hey, yeah, that's my be my best buddy. Now, first Mike. off, let me just say, let me just say, Coach oh, K yeah. is a man, mm -hmm. and Coach K's grandson is a child. He's only eighteen years old, even though he was still he, capable of getting behind a wheel drunk. He's twenty. He is still a twenty-year-old, and he's a young kid. And I made every mistake this kid made when I was twenty, so I'm not after this kid. But feel free, Chris. You say what you need. I'm to not. Say. You know, Coach I'm, K. I, I we're tight. T-I-T -T tight. 
Now that's not I, the word tight, and it's not a word I can actually say what it spells on the air. Oh, it's T I long I. Oh, tight. long I tight. Gotcha. Toy. Toy. So anyway, uh, uh, Michael Severino, who's uh, are you going to tell the story? I just want to know. What no, you would you about. just let me go? I got to get started. It takes me a minute. Well, to there I up. was. He's no. got to. He's got to slowly warm himself. If into you guys would stop interrupting me, I would already be done. Go ahead. So Severino, he's Kay's grandson. He's a walk-on on the team. His mom, there's no nepotism at Duke. His mom is an assistant, athletic director. Is yeah. an assistant athletic director. Yeah. Uh, skills. Okay. Skill set. So yes. what's interesting is, and this is we, not we've all, but many of us have made these dumb mistakes. So Severino, they were he's out at a party and he's driving and he shouldn't have been. Now, what gets interesting is. He was driving the car of future lottery pick and probable freshman of the year in the ACC, Paulo Banchero. Which is what a good walk-on does. He takes the bullet for the superstar. So far, I love the kid. Go ahead. Right. So far, again. Now, Banchero is was seated in the back seat. So mm -hmm. I think he may At have been. At the post of standing and surfing in the back seat? Well, I think he was more napping slash uh, passed passed out. Out. but <laughs> but and here's another reason why i actually don't mind this Severino kid he he told the police that he had quote several shots now he didn't go by the old standby of oh i only had a drink or two he, he actually told he told him so yeah. okay maybe that shows that he was completely hammered out of his mind but anyway here the that's the That's reason he did it was so when it went to court, he could be like, no, no, I was talking about practice. I had taken several yeah, shots, I was, I was and so I was tired, up. and that's why I was driving now, all over the place. Yeah, so several hours before the game on Tuesday, Coach Krzyzewski released a statement and basically pushed it off that there was been a situation, and it'll be determined by the vice president and director of athletics. So then after the game – well, oh, in the game. Oh, my Never God. This was a headline. What are we doing? What's happening? Would you right shut up? Is this a yes or no story? question? So, so would you let me finish? Jeez. I, I'd so love Sa to, but I don't Savarino think you is Savarino is, is not allowed to sit on the bench, be part of the team. But uh, Paulo is allowed to start. So but He I, got arrested, too. And he got arrested because it, there's an aided aiding and abetting law in, in, North, Carolina. in North Carolina. Yeah. So that's interesting. You can be arrested but still play in the next game. Huh. Well, that's it. That's that where fair. my frustration is. And then well, you could have got right. That. Um, Shefty okay. says after the game, the headlines might make it look like it's the same, but it's not. The decisions we made are in conjunction with our authorities, my superiors, and we're taking action. We took action. We will continue to take action. Mike Shashevsky does not have a superior at Duke. He runs not only the athletic, not only the basketball program, but the athletic department and basically the university. Own up to it, Mike. That's all. Just own up to this shit. Bullshit, <laughs> bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Okay, we have four four things to cover. Okay, fast. One, Montreal and Tampa splitting a team. We we team for everyone. They're, they're splitting a team, but uh, he, they, the, the president said he'd pay for half the stadium in the new city. It's going to happen. It's going to be the greatest thing ever. I think every team should have two cities. Um, on the flip side, in Cleveland, we have one city, two teams. 
name the same thing. It's the exact opposite scenario. It's official. They chose the worst of the two names they could have chosen from. They could be the Spiders. It'd be amazing. Instead, they're also the Guardians. There are now two Cleveland Guardians. I don't know what the final dollar amount was, but I did hear it was above 8200 which was Mike's guess last week. Um, I We will report what that number was as soon as we get that. This is a bigger story, but we're going to do it in 22 seconds. Uh, the 2022 Beijing's win- Beijing Winter Games – this is actually, we really should give this at least one minute. There's a good chance that the athletes born 18 to 23 years ago that have dedicated their entire life to compete in one sport over 29 seconds, potentially, their entire life building up to this one moment, may not get to play in the Olympics because there is a chance And I'm not judging the decision. I think the decision is rooted in very, very good reasons. But there's a chance the U.S. boycotts the Beijing Olympics over China's human rights record. And rightfully so. But I feel really, really, really bad if that happens for these athletes. Like, I can't even imagine. Because some of these guys, it could be their last chance in the Olympics. Yeah, And they've been training for the last three and a half years to take their last shot at something. I felt horrible with the Olympic, with the winter, uh, this the COVID, this last COVID games where they're um, they played in front you know, of no had, one. Where, right, their families couldn't be there. Imagine that yeah. you can't even go. Yeah, I'd rather play in front of no one than not play in front of everyone. And like you said, I get I get the logic behind it, but I mean, in some ways, there's got to be a solution, right? There's well, and I'm, what I'm hoping is is that this is being done to put it out there, position all this, and then pull back to allow the athletes to go, but then make their appearance there be about standing for human rights and actually use that as a positive platform versus not being there at all. I mean, isn't the American thing that just everybody gets a medal? <laughs> I don't think that's the American thing anymore. But You get a trophy uh, and you get a trophy. Thanks for participating in the Olympics that we couldn't actually go to. Here's a trophy. Yeah. I don't know if you guys can see the comment up on the screen right now from Josh Kyles, the Josh Kyles. Romo is the best. Ever it is. Is Romo? Is that Mrs. Kyles there? Yeah, that's his wife. Um, (laughs) We're going to get another comment from that one now. Uh, Okay, I'm going to ask a fun question. And then, guys, I want to point it out now. I'm going to end on a very serious note. So after we do the the, the next, I'm going to end on a very serious note. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know what that was, but room service. Well, see you later. Ask the question and then put yourself on mute. (laughs) One last time, it's only a drill. That was unexpected. Um, All right, so here's the question. (laughs) (laughs) And mute yourself. Time I start to ask the question. Okay, here's the question. Uh, What is your favorite Thanksgiving meal? And I am now going on mute.
Papa Smith, knock it out, pal. Oh boy. So my favorite meal, I have gone accustomed uh, to deep frying a turkey. Um, oh yeah. Uh, grow, grown up in the country, just uh, different injections Injections we've used of flavoring over the years. I mean, it just, I love it. I only do it around Thanksgiving, maybe Christmas. We don't do it for Thanksgiving. Close second, my uh, my mom or my grandmother's uh, green bean casserole. That thing is Ooh. awesome. Ooh. Green bean nice. casserole would not have And pecan that. pie and mashed potatoes and homemade gravy. I just like the whole thing. You can't just wrap it up. It's, yeah. God damn it. Yeah. I like all the traditional stuff too. You know, and I think the non-traditional, I guess, though, would be the fried turkey. But I mean, good God almighty, that takes that turkey to a whole other level of deliciousness. And then you got to have a, a homemade pumpkin pie with homemade whipped cream to, to add it to the other 46,000 calories that you just had from the potatoes buried in butter and the, the uh, uh, sweet potatoes covered in marshmallows and brown sugar and cranberry that comes out of a can like a, you know, a like two. a can that's, um, it's that's always fun to have a deep fried turkey too and and, and have it partially frozen and, and shoot it over to your neighbor's yard for the <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah exploding frozen turkeys are my favorite um i will in, in true 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 story my my cousin's husband Corey makes an amazing deep fried turkey it's I, i've never tasted anything better than a deep than this deep fried i've just mm -hmm. never tasted anything better he does a wonderful job with the injections that you were mentioning mike mike by the way is a tremendous chef and flavors is his thing so i listen to anything mike smith says and chris i have no idea if you can cook a thing i have no concept of this i am a fantastic at the grill oh nice okay all right so we got two of these a fantastic My... at the grill <laughs> it's perfect <laughs> He's getting serious, guys. Ser yeah, okay, get serious. I just can't fathom what Josh would be doing if he was here right now. Oh, my God. He would be five peppers right now. That's hot. It's five pepper hot. <laughs> that's, that's hot. BTW. That's, a hot that's a hot. He's still, he's still muted. So my favorite meal, you'll laugh because – my plate on Thanksgiving is there's no color. It's mashed potatoes, turkey, biscuits, corn, any other kind of potato, a deviled egg. It's literally shades of yellow and white on my plate. And I love every last second of it, that there is no color on that plate. The ultimate you're going to drench it all in gravy, like everything. Not everything. It. No, I'll do some gravy. If it's the right kind of gravy, I'll do gravy on the mashed potatoes. But for the most part, I'm a butter and salt guy. If that do you goes, all sit around the table with that? All shades of white? Do you have like a, a robe that you wear with like a pointy hat that you put yeah, on? Yeah, I dress up as I dress up as as Jesus, G, uh, uh, Santa Claus Jesus, and I'm just in all white. I wasn't going Hello, to Hello, thank you for the butter. I'm sorry I threw out my arm and pitched the other day. So good to see you and mother. Oh my gosh. Okay, guys. So I'm gonna get really serious for a second, and I mean this, and then we are going to sign off. So I'm gonna say goodbye to each of you right now and do it with a lot of love because today uh my one of my closest friends of all time and my little league baseball coach gentleman named kenny nielsen is at home he's been battling cancer for multiple mm -hmm. years now 
and he is just a, a mountain of a human and just a mountain of a person on the outside and the inside and has had a huge impact on my life. And he's at home now and he's resting and he's with his family. And I just want to send a shout out to him and to them. Tell them how much I love them and uh, and just thank him for everything that he's done over the last amazing 60 some odd 70 some odd years of his life i'm not exactly sure how old he is um because he, he's just it's hard to tell how old he's been because he's just been a young and vibrant and active and strong and just just an amazing guy and has done so much for me and my family and everybody and i just want to tell him how much i love him and uh thank you guys for being on the show today and uh, that is how i am going to wrap it i love you guys and i will see you soon Oh, <laughs> oh,